0: Hello and welcome once again to Friday Apostrophe. The date is Monday, January twenty fifth, and I am here with Evan Coben and Katie Haligian of Nikki Darling Confections. Uh, First off, Evan, do you want to go ahead and tell the listenership um, what Nikki Darling Confections is? Sure.
1: Yeah. So, Nikki Darling Confections is the new nostalgia in confections. We make traditional handcrafted American candies and chocolates, um, such as American caramels, chocolate chews, fruit chews, marshmallows. Um, We do chocolate bars, all sorts of different things. And we hand make everything, hand package everything. Um, Right now we are a full-time staff of two, Katie and I. And we have a few part-time employees as well, and that's Nikki Darling Confections.
0: And what is it that makes your candy and chews, one, nostalgic, but also so good?
1: So I focus, when I was trying to come up with the flavors and the recipes that we work with, I focused primarily on like, traditional methodology of how you make candy Um, and i have a particular passion for like traditional american confections too just which are a little different than like the true old world confections Um, american confections tend to incorporate a lot more of american innovation of using Uh, more stable ingredients to begin with, which kind of extend the shelf life of the product without not necessarily needing preservatives. So it's, it's kind of this great fine line of like following the American tradition to get good quality products. And then the new nostalgia to me is making the products the way that you remember them without having to go overboard. So like everybody remembers that perfect caramel And we just strive to make that caramel of what you remember. And like, everybody has a memory of a specific candy that was great when they were young and that they would love to be able to find again. And so we just try to recreate those memories without going overboard. So I like to think of it as something that you would want to share with your kids, but you would also want to share with your grandparents. And that's kind of the line that I like to follow.
0: Katie, can I put you on the spot sure. and ask you, what, what is that piece of candy for
1: For me? You? Yeah. Um,
2: well, I always say, like, kind of the greatest irony of my career is I actually don't have a major sweet tooth. Um, so I would say something that, like, stokes a memory. Honestly, like a toasted marshmallow. Like, every little kid has that, like, visceral like scent memory and taste memory of their first kind of like over toasted burnt marshmallow, and that's like always what I go back to whenever I have one
1: of ours. Yeah. Slightly less (laughs) burnt. You were talking about the other day the memory of like your dad and marshmallow goo in ice cream. Oh yeah,
2: the marshmallow ripple in a plain chocolate ice cream. That was like a a really strong memory I have of myself and my late father eating right out of the ice cream carton. (laughs) Nice.
0: Yeah. so this is obviously a this is a hyper niche um neighborhood geographic podcast mm-hmm. um so let's talk let's talk neighborhood a okay. little bit so you both well Kate, evan you live in logan square about a mile from here yes from the from the kitchen yes. on rockwell street from which the mm-hmm. nikki darling empire <laughs> extends, its, extends its reach into the world yes um you live in lincoln square katie is that true
2: no, I live about a half a mile from here. I live by Honey Butter Fried Chicken. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, just up Elston. Um,
0: so thinking on that and on the neighborhood, mm-hmm. like, as professional tastemakers in a literal sense, um, give me, give me one very underrated or overlooked thing in this neighborhood that like, um. You know, you think that you have special perception into why it's good or worthwhile. I already have one Evan that I'm thinking of for you, but really, yeah. What are you thinking of? This is actually a, a, a telepathy what, what podcast. Do you th- <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. But um, Evan, we'll go, we'll go to you first, and we'll see if we're thinking of the same thing. But give, give me one of your like um, neighborhood spots that you really will, will vouch for that someone like me who doesn't you know make a living in the Mm. um food industry would maybe feel a little insecure piping up to say i think this is good Hmm.
1: Hmm. oh my gosh i i'm having a hard time um in the avondale and logan yeah Yeah. yeah
2: yeah are we talking just, like, hidden gem kind of situation? Sort of hidden you're gem. For? I
0: mean, can I tell you what I was saying? Yeah, please yeah, yeah, tell me. And then I'll um, probably think of... So when, like, I mean, this was in the before times, but mm. um, one day when you were like, yep, Caesar, my husband and I are going to go on vacation. And I was oh, like, yeah. what does that mean? Like, yeah. We're going to go to El Cid on Kenzie, <laughs> Yeah. And we're just going to gorge ourselves yeah. on, like,
1: El Cid is great to go on vacation. So my husband and I go on vacation, which means we sit in the back patio of El Cid. And you can still do it in the, well, not in the winter, but in the summer in the, in the COVID era, we still went and sat in their back patio and we just drink frozen margaritas and eat. They make their nachos. They individually plate their nachos. So each chip is like all laid out on the plate. And they put all of the perfect amount of things on top of each chip. And it just, they play, like, this weird combination of, like, Mexican pop music and then, like, normal pop music. And then there's, like, randomly, I don't know, like, a Tiffany song thrown in there. <laughs> and it just feels like you, you're in, like, some touristy area at this, like, sort of tourist trap but also not really place. And it's really fun. I we like, going there on vacation. And we've brought a bunch of friends to go on vacation with us. Um, you know air quotes vacation and yeah we we like that and along that same line the mexican grocery store right around the corner from here we both katie and i really like going there and when we did our company holiday party i went there and i got the marinated meats from their counter and they do like el pastor and um like frozen um, pulp and passion fruit pulp, and we made frozen margaritas at home and had tacos and stuff from the grocery store there because they do really good can, pre-made stuff. Can
0: I, before I um, put you back on the spot, Katie, like, I don't know if you guys would even have a way of climbing inside the head of, like, uh, you know, a normal like me who, who
1: <laughs> An normal. Has, has
0: no um, qualified basis on which to trust their own taste, that I think that there's this, um, like, especially in the social media era, of, like Instagram and everything like this, that people try to uh, present their, they take their taste very seriously, and so I think that there are um, people for whom, you know, they actually would like El Cid, but they're afraid of seeming very basic if they mm, go to yeah, El Cid. Yeah. Or declaring themselves as basic. Like, they either are or they aren't. You know, I mean, I'm a very basic person myself.
1: l is kind of basic, but, like, there's nothing wrong with just enjoying what you enjoy. And, like, sitting in that back patio and drinking a bunch of frozen margaritas and then, like, wandering home, because after a bunch of frozen margaritas there, you will wander home.
0: (laughs) That's a
1: good name. Is really fun. And, like, why not just enjoy that on a Friday night?
0: I mean well you know like
1: why take it so serious like it's just
0: but i think my point is i feel like um it's easy for you to say because you're like a professionally trained chef and you're already you have you both have like street cred because you are in a cool business and doing cool things
1: it's it's funny you say that because this gets off of the neighborhood piece but a lot of friends like want to be really impressive and do like all the big tasting menus and like travel all over the place to do the tasting menu at this place and that place and I feel like so over it in a way like I don't know they're wonderful and if somebody wants to pay for me to be able to do something like that I'm going to be overly gracious and it's just they're wonderful to do but at the end of the day like I'm kind of tired of walking out of tasting menus and feeling like I want a slice of pizza I just want the slice of pizza (laughs) you know like I'm I'm just I'm over that I want to go to where I know I'm gonna be satisfied. I want to go to a Lula mm-hmm. and have like a really great meal. I want to pick up the New York slice from the Poly G's window and be like super happy. Or I just want to go to the Mexican grocery and get a bunch of tacos and like feel really good about it. Like I don't, I don't know, over the... I don't know, I
2: feel like at least in my circle and like my progression in the food world is there was, a, there was a time and a place for my taste snobbery, mm-hmm. and I kind of got over that really quickly, and I, I'm sort of seeing that reflected in like the larger Chicago restaurant community, to yeah. be honest, that like we aren't here to tell people that like this is good, and this is why you should like it, and if you like this, you're wrong. I think we've all kind of taken a step back, especially during COVID, to recognize that people are craving sort of comfort and familiarity and nostalgia right now. So it's okay to like El Cid's frozen margaritas. It's okay to like, you know, if I wanna just like order Jet's Pizza with Jet's Ranch, like I'm happy as a camper and I don't have to feel like I'm not being like fancy enough or culinary enough to enjoy it. Can
0: you talk a little bit um, more about your like conscious experience of your taste snobbery and if you sort of like remember the moment when you got over it?
2: Yeah, I mean...
0: Or transcended it, I I,
2: my My early working years in the restaurant industry were kind of like sports bar, pub type places, so I had no sense of snobbery then. I was eating wings and drinking beer, not (laughs) thinking twice about it. And then I, I found myself craving almost a little bit of more snobbery. I'm like, I need something more, something's missing. More refinement. More refined, that's the right word for it. And then... You know starting to put my foot in the restaurant Chicago Chicago restaurant community is when I started learning new things that I had never learned before so some of the things with the natural wine world that I learned working at Cellar Door Provisions and all of the pastry that I learned working with you and Bang Bang kind of gave me that little like elevated knowledge that I was craving but at the same time everyone in all of these places is still accepting of your quote unquote like unrefined basic tastes
0: because was there like a moment like when the was it like the Popeye's fried chicken sandwich came out and you were like yes I can have this <laughs> and like it
2: um you know I did I did go on the Popeye's fried chicken sandwich train when it came out because you know I'm an American millennial with Instagram so like I hopped on that bandwagon um no, I don't know. I think this also just has to do with like how I was raised. I'm like born-bred Midwestern, like meat and potatoes. So comfort and like rustic homemade is is my is my brand now. And that's what I seek out when I want to have a nice experience out in another restaurant. And I don't want to be treated like I'm stupid at
0: yeah. the table
2: because I don't understand one word on the menu and be condescended at by my server. Like I now try really hard to not do that back, back of house and since I don't want to be treated that way as a guest. Either. In
0: the, so you also, you were a professional ballerina or a competitive ballerina? I don't even know what the uh, I was, was on
2: the professional track. I did go all the way through my four-year degree at the University of Arizona. I got my Bachelor of Fine Arts in Dance and thought that that was all I was ever going to do. Um, but, you know, trying to pick a career in the arts when you graduate high school in 2008 and watch the entire country's economy crumble around you it was probably not my wisest move but
0: <laughs> Wait, but was it um do you see any similarity in the like aesthetic pressure or aesthetic mm. um rigidity in fine art dances as, as was um maybe at the beginning of the you know aesthetic snaggery around liking stuff are, are there any parallels there or am i just kind, kind of driving it?
2: You know, it's funny you say that. There is When I was in like high school and college, there was just this new philosophy that you should listen to your body's limits. If you can't do this, you shouldn't do this. If you're injured here, don't push it. Oh, Working I, within the boundaries of your limitations. I thought
0: you were talking about food first. no, no. no. <laughs> and then,
2: you know, almost like a more gentle approach as opposed to the extremely like harsh militant just go 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 i don't care if you're hurt kind Mm. of thing and i'm noticing the same parallel almost in the food world it was all these high-end highbrow tasting menus with wines you can't pronounce and now we're kind of taking a step back to like what really matters and what really feels good to our bodies
0: well in parallel to that evan obviously you came up through the Formal culinary education.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I have so I have my bachelor's degree in uh, baking pastry arts, hospitality management, and then my initial like I started I started working in catering with my mom when I was way way young, and then went to school, and then after school worked in or during school worked in fine dining in New York City, um, and. Had that, like, like backward molecular gastronomy was like the hot new shit. Like, that's what I was doing. Can you explain?
0: I've heard the gastronomy. term, but I, like, many things I just sort of pretend you know, like I know what it means. <laughs> you know, what
1: the like, so molecular gastronomy is taking um, food science and applying food science on like a plate by plate application. The idea being that, like, you can take food and turn it into anything that you want. So. You know, food science came out the way to like industrialize our food and make our food safe, and then they turned it back around. And what we were doing at that time in like 2008, 2007 was taking like, you know, whiskey and turning it into these little caviar balls and topping the, yeah, topping the like, you know, coconut foam carrot cake, blah, 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 with these little whiskey balls, and then you would eat it, and you'd be like, oh my gosh, it tastes like coffee, all but white, it's all this thing. Yeah, oh my a gosh. study in white. A study in white. I literally did a plate <laughs> that was a study in white, and so everything on the plate was white, but none of the ingredients are in innately white, so it was like white coffee, dark chocolate that was white, like all of these things that were taken from what their flavors were and turned into... A white plate and so it was and then we also did this other one that was orange and then there was one that was red and it was all these different things that we like it's really cool to be able to do but at the end of the day like does it taste really good is it satisfying and I was super fortunate to be working for a man at the time who thought of both of those elements and he's like just this wacky extraordinary person but There were so many people that were doing it just for the sake of doing it. And it still continues. Like you still see it on tasting menus where like you just do these things that are really wacky just to be able to do them. And I think, you know, one of the things that I learned in my more corporate career as well is that whenever that there's a a downturn in the economy, people just go back to comfort. And like those are the places that you will always be safe. It's just going back to that comfort. And so obviously we're seeing that now, but before in the before times like you still saw that within the restaurant industry it was just this like backlash to this super overthought ridiculous thing that was going on and now people just want to be like fed and they want to enjoy it and they don't they don't want someone who's condescending because you don't know what tonka bean is or you don't know what molecular astronomy is like it it shouldn't be this overly complicated experience it's just going out to dinner and like it's about the experience of enjoying a good meal with good company in a nice setting, and, and that, that's do it. You,
0: do you think there are parallels? I mean, I don't, for all, for as much as I don't know shit about the food world, I don't, like doubly don't know shit about dance, so yeah. I don't wanna, I don't wanna sure. create like <laughs> false parallels. Um, but do you think that, um, I know Katie, you, especially like in the summer when there was this, uh, period of reckoning with the 86 list and, you know, Abe common from fat rice among others sort of getting canceled, uh, for creating toxic environments and whatnot. Um, I just following you on Instagram, I know that Mm. like, you know, you were, you, you, um, I'm vocal about my opinion. You're burning the heat (laughs) there. Um, and do you think that the, the toxicity or the, or toxicity or the punishing culture, um, that it seems like people won't just really stand for anymore? Do you think that was tied to the preciousness of the aesthetic and things like that? That it was like, it's so white knuckle because we're trying to prove how difficult things are? Or do you think that these are just unrelated issues?
1: I think that there's definitely a parallel. I mean, some of the best restaurants in the country went through quite a bit of backlash when all the like 86 stuff was going on. There was a lot of there's a, a lot of pressure in those places, and it's very competitive. I mean, I, the first restaurant I worked at in New York was a silent kitchen. And, you know...
0: What's a silent kitchen?
1: You're not allowed to talk during... So, like, you only talk if you need to. So, you, there's... Like, you know, when, we, when Katie and I are back here, we talk about everything. We watch TV. We listen to music. Like, we do all sorts of... We're just constantly chattering, like, all day long. But in a silent kitchen, you do not talk unless you like have a question or need to clarify something. There's like no chatter, there's no music, it's just silent. And that environment, it creates so much pressure because everybody is so hyper-focused on what you do. And yeah, you create like beautiful things out of that, but you're also, you're willing to work 14 hour days because the guy next to you is working 13 hour days. And you're willing to like, stay for six days a week if not more and you will work on broken feet i had i had stress fractures that whole summer and i just continued going to work and like i remember my mom my mom broke her foot my mom's a professional chef and when i was growing up she broke her foot and she was a the executive banquet chef at the philadelphia art museum and she broke her pinky toe like deep in her foot somewhere and she had a cast on it, and she made them match the height of the cast to her kitchen shoes, so that she could still walk around the kitchen in her cast. And then she got really annoyed, and so she soaked her foot, the cast, in a friend's hot tub, and he cut it off with a bread knife after a week, and she went back to work with a broken foot. And like that's just what the restaurant industry was for so long. And
2: I'm sure. I've danced on broken toes. I know so many dancers who've danced on torn ligaments, twisted ankles. Like, there is just no time to rest if, right. your, if your body is your instrument, or I guess if you're a chef, your hands and your, your mouth body. Is like everything. Um, yeah, it's. You just it's do it. Punishing. And it's what it, what it was
1: for so long. We all just
2: sort of accepted it, that that's how it had to be, because no one had told us it didn't have to be that way.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, so I think that there's. I mean, Katie, you brought up, um, you know, the fact of being a millennial, you know, we're mm-hmm. all sitting here as, as mid thirties people. And I, you know, I only recently started to have the experience of people referring to millennials as old people mm-hmm. or this summer when someone asked me if some 22 <laughs> year old asked me if I was a baby boomer. Um, Ouch. <laughs> but, uh, it's interesting to think of the generational, mm-hmm. um, set up for allowing, I mean, it's a little different because obviously your mom is not a millennial, Evan, but um, this idea of this like super punishing framework, be it in in dance or or food or whatever, you both mentioned about, you know, there's um, transition happening around downturns in the economy. And I wonder how much of that is driven by there's this promise that if you pay your dues, that there's some type Mm -hmm. of opportunity Mm -hmm. on the other Mm -hmm. end. And then when that goes away and it's clear that the people who were saying, you know, let me crush you with all of my bullshit and you're gonna get opportunity on the Mm -hmm. side when they actually can't deliver on that, that like, is that something where-
1: Like shifts the way you think about- Just shifts the
0: way, well, I think it's interesting to talk to both of you because, you know, I mean, uh, I know you had met at Bang Bang where you had a very positive experience in a, in a woman-run central kitchen, yeah. but also I know you've spoken that like part of starting Nikki Darling was kind of walking away from all that. Mm, yeah. So I mean I guess I'll just wind you up and hopefully that you can talk because I don't see how I'm going to lead all the way to a specific question. Yeah, so yeah. I'll just say your thoughts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean I think that I think that there's a lot of it there, right? Like you know my mom Thinking about my mom, my mom's always amazed that we will say no to people, um, or that we don't like give out tons of free shit if somebody complains that their package showed up a day late, like it it is, there is a difference in, in exactly what you're saying, this idea that like we were promised certain things, we went to school for certain things, expecting that our careers could be something, and then it all fell apart, and like, it wasn't what we were promised at all and why am i going to continue to do this to myself when other people are starting to say that like life can be different your career can be different you can do what you want to do and like sure i still we still work super hard you know i like owning your own business you never stop working the whole The whole promise of like oh find your passion and you'll never work a day in your life (laughs) is such bullshit like you work all the time that's what it is and sometimes i think like oh i wish somebody had told me to figure out what made money that i was decent at and i could have just made money and like been done with it and then made food on the side but at the same time like i'm definitely satisfied by carving my own path and moving away from having somebody else be my boss like I don't think I don't think I could ever go back to it in many different reasons but one I don't think anybody would want me as an employee like I think I'd be so such a terrible employee at this point because I'm far too opinionated on how things should happen
0: is this, get, is this the type of thing that five years from now you're gonna be like, you gotta find that file, and take it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dig <right>. that out <laughs> of the archives? <laughs> yeah, right. Like,
1: I just, I just can't. I'm, I'm not good at that anymore. Of like, not pushing to do my own thing, and you know, it's, it's a hard balance. And I think I thank Katie for reminding me that like, you aren't always defined by what you do. And like you, don't have to just define your life by your career because that's all I ever knew before. So I think we definitely are still both learning on how to do different things with our lives and like how to grow out of the toxicity that we both were raised in. Um, and by no fault of like anyone in particular, it's just what the history of our industries were. That was just the
2: culture. I mean, yeah, I guess. It, the same goes for any industry. Just like keep keep your head down, work hard, don't ask questions, yeah. do what you're told. Like, I think there's not necessarily an awakening. I don't want to call it that, but people in our generation kind of looked around and said, like, that ah, that American dream was kind of a lie. Like, I'm gonna do my own thing. Like, I'm gonna carve my own path. Like you said. Yeah. You know, I think we're all people my age are all starting to redefine what success looks like. And at least for me. Success does not come in the form of a career and money. It you know I used to have to define myself based on like, I am a dancer, this is who I am, this is what I do. And I fell into that a little bit. I'm a baker, this is who I am, this is what I do, and it's like, well no, I'm I'm Katie and I bake. I don't mm-hmm. have to be Katie the baker, yeah. Katie the dancer, you yeah. know.
0: The um, the correlation between I don't know even how you would describe it, because I think to the molecular gastronomy piece, mm-hmm. or um, you know, thinking of, like, you know, just to, to hammer away on the guy from Fat Rice, just because we've already named him and whatnot. Um, is it true that the, the uh, more, I don't know, like, gentle, relatable, or maybe nostalgia, to use your word, um, a project becomes or an offering becomes, is that kind of insulating from the toxicity? Because no?
1: No. No, I think that it it really is a culture. Like Mm -hmm. just because you make something that's lovely and homespun and you can still be terrible. You know, the boss and the attitude and the environment can still be a terrible place to work. And I think that like, you know, you brought up the fact that Katie and I met while working at Bang Bang, and while we were there in the bakery, it was all women, and it was the first time I had ever worked for a female chef. And I think that there was something special and eye-opening about this idea that, like, you can care for each other and still create something beautiful and something wonderful. And that, to me, is really where it changes. So, like, sure, you could still, I think we could still easily do fine dining and, like, easily do those beautiful and, you know, overthought things, if you create an environment that allows for compassion and transparency and life balance in like, you know, we all say work-life balance, but that just means give up your life for work, but actual work-life balance. And like, when you can create those things, you get more out of people instead of this like punishing environment to get people to do what you want you just if you can create some sort of nurturing environment I think that you can make something beautiful regardless of what you're trying to create so whether if it's you know just old world caramels or you know some sort of foam topped with caviar and syringes and gels and all sorts of things like you can still create beautiful things but the environment is really the part that needs to change around how you get
0: there. Well, I mean, I guess, Katie, I'd be curious to your thoughts here and be as candid as you want. We can always edit this out, mm-hmm. if not. But, like, I mean, Salador for instance, is not an unambitious right. place from a culinary perspective, but people seem pretty happy there. Um, as employees, you mean? Just in general, like, you know, I don't live too far from there. and yeah. I just see a lot of smiling faces. and I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I
2: think they are proof that there is, a, like, a balance, like, between making really, really special, thoughtful food, while remaining kind and humble and uh, you know warm and welcoming, mm-hmm. so there's, it's like you said, the environment is a place where someone who is unfamiliar with these cuisines or these ingredients can go and feel comfortable and confident they won't be made fun of for not knowing. Oh. Um, I think they did a really good job of fostering an environment where like kindness and compassion comes first and everything else falls after that
0: so do you each of you thinking you can have separate answers obviously that um, this is sort of a, a new mode like waiting to be discovered or is it like there's actually just islands of tranquility like in this and you know the advice would be find your island of tranquility as soon as you can um like what do you see going into the future In that like as soon as you know places can do three seatings a night again like is is it just going to be everything falling into the same old habits or is it going to be
1: i hope not i really hope not i hope not i hope that this is a good reset for the industry the unfortunate thing is that like the industry wasn't financially supported in the way that it could have been to create that sort of, like, there's so many people who are struggling right now to reopen, stay open, pay their employees, that I think that there, I hope that there isn't, like, a dog-eat-dog dog kind of pushing to get back to any sort of, sort of financial stability. I really hope that there is a reset for people to be able to, I think, where we are currently is islands of tranquility, as you say. Like There are definitely places that you can go to to find a nurturing and fostering environment to be able to grow your craft, but hopefully those expand. You know, As people leave just the natural progression of people leave cellar door, people, you know, we've had some part-time employees come and work with us and then they go on or whatever, Like hopefully you take those ideas of how work together and you take it wherever you go Mm -hmm. and it just continues to spread there's always going to be some sort of I'm I'm just going to say there's always going to be some sort of toxic dude in the kitchen it's it's usually a dude let's be real right It's we're still outnumbered 7 to 1 there's always going to be some sort of toxic dude who like just wants to throw down and say that he's the best and like you know you just have to pick your pick your poison on how you deal with somebody like that, you know, do you, do you say that you're better and like prove it or do you just ignore them and move on? And it's it, I don't know. I don't know how you do it all the time cuz each dude is going to be their own dude, but
0: is there some evil candy making bro that we should really drag on this podcast?
1: There was a really evil, um, not, not a candy-making bro, and not in Chicago, but there was a really awful um, uh, pastry professional who got taken down in Me Too, oh. um, who was like the darling of the industry. And he was all over Food Network and all this stuff. And he was just such a fucking creep. <laughs> and I know that because I, I um, so there's a thing in the restaurant industry called a stage, or a trail is where you go, and typically you work for free for a day, and they like see if they like you before giving you a job. It's like an audition. Mm-hmm. Like an audition. <laughs> and um, But it's also a way that you get free labor, and I staged at this guy's restaurant when he was there, and the, the thing that he did, so he would always hire young women, typically young Asian women, and when he came in, everybody had to go over to him and give him a big hug and a double kiss on the cheek like that's how he would start his day and then all of his he had a book that was like really sexual innuendos like all in his book that was published and like made into a big deal and he got taken down because he was a creep and like he should have been and it wasn't surprising when he got taken down so like just weird I don't know there's that that idea that like this guy was huge you know and like super successful and I think he's out there making chocolate bars now, I think is what he does at, at, under like some name, you know? But that, like accepting that and and you, were, you mentioned fat rights, like I, Katie and I had such long conversations about like being complicit in some of that old environment of the like, just keep your head down. Like we were literally taught, just keep your head down. Like, you see it happening, don't engage with it, don't stand up for anyone, just keep your head down. And doing that, I think, now, like, reflecting back, you, I feel complicit in, like, I knew this guy was a creep, and I went there and I staged for the day, and I didn't accept the job because he was a creep, but I didn't, like, stop anyone else from staging. And, you know, you look around the industry and you think, like, how many times have I not stood up and said something and not like changed the way things are and how many opportunities do you get to do that so like in owning your own business like you can do whatever you want so like not only am I not a good employee because I don't want to take your opinion anymore and (laughs) I'm gonna do it my way but now I'm also gonna be like super vocal about how the culture should be and how we should like treat each other you don't feel well or you're just a little stressed today like yeah come in late go home early like it's better for you it's better for us in the long run we will be more successful so like you know obviously there is never going to be any sort of environment that I work in ever going forward where people feel uncomfortable or like threatened in any way whatsoever we will not stand for it but or else yeah like you're out you know I'm just not it's not like That's too to short. and,
2: yeah. like you know, you don't, don't want to be stressed at work. It, this right. work is stressful enough, even when
1: it's fun. Right, because it's that, still work. Yeah, like it's still a job.
0: But this is also kind of driven by, um, like, you're you're very empowered in that you you have a craft, right? Mm-hmm. That like you could actually s- strike off on your own, in that way. Um, is that really sort of the the opportunity that's always promised, though? Is that, like, what was driven, driving a lot of the toxicity was the idea that, like, pay your dues and one day you can have your own place? Or are there people who are just kind of wanting to be, I think have so. a job?
1: There is kind of this underlying thing of, like, pay your dues and you'll be top chef. You'll be executive chef one day. You'll run the kitchen. Like, you'll get to that point. But there are, like, chefs and cooks, that dime a dozen, you know? There's so many of us out there. So, like... Obviously you don't always get to that place and then I think there becomes this like, Well, I paid my dues so now you have to suffer even though none of us are ever at the top. And it does go further back than that. Like it goes further back to the culture of what the restaurant industry how it began and like where people came from. You know, it was a it was a industry for derelicts and, you know, ex convicts and it was a militant style, all the way back to like inception of fine dining you can go all the way back there and it comes down to this like that's where it came from and nobody ever really questioned whether or not it needs to continue like do we really need this old school system of like the taller your hat is the more important you are in the kitchen like I don't think so let's just put your hair in a bun and Get to work, get to like work. it's no big deal.
0: How so, could you make chef action figures that <laughs>
1: yeah. without tall hats?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, so I, I there's a lot like the industry just needs to change. And I think about it when you mentioned craft, right? Like, we have a craft, and so we can strike out and create our own things. But, like, I've had this conversation recently with my husband who he's very skilled, but accounting it isn't necessarily a craft. But, you can still say like I'm going to change the way my relationship with my job and my career is because I think that's also a lot of what it comes down to is like we've changed our relationship to what this is not defining yourself by it anymore not allowing toxicity to continue and like enjoying it in a more gentle way not like oh my god I have to do this sort of activity and I think that like no matter what what industry you're in, you can change that relationship with how you see your career and how you see your job. And like, you know, he definitely works so hard all the time. And like, at the end of the day, you know, the company is not gonna give up its own vacation days for you. So why are you giving up yours? (laughs) You know, like, why why do we still do this? Why do you feel like you can't take sick pay? It's there for a reason. take your sick days if you need to. And I think one of the good things about what COVID is doing is that like, if you've got a cold, people are so scared now. So like, you take your sick days, you know, and we are fortunate to be able to like, you know, work so close together to say, I'm feeling this way. I need to take some time off. We can do that. Katie and I can do that. But I think everybody should be able to examine the relationship with their career. And say, like, is this something that is truly defining me, or am I a person outside of this? And like, how do I make that what I want it to be?
0: Katie, ten years from now, mm. what do you think the the out of home dining experience and in industry and apparatus is gonna be? That's a hard one.
2: I have Two conflicting answers on my heart about that right now. And the first has to do with the state of the restaurant industry as it relates to COVID right now. And in one year, if they don't get the relief they need, we'll all be dining out at Applebee's and Buffalo Wild Rings for the rest of our life. And there will be no lovely, creative, inventive, small, independently owned places. Now, they do get the relief they need, or if some swift miracle of reopening fine din- indoor dining. Excuse me, comes back. I would like to think that everyone working there. I want there to be. I want there to be a metric on Yelp for how happy the staff looks mm-hmm. when you go. To a restaurant,
0: TGI Fridays. If they That's all, exactly. if
2: they all look <laughs> m- miserable, I don't want to eat there, no matter how food the good is, how good the food is, because <laughs> I know they're being treated like shit behind the scenes, and that translates. Like you can feel that. Maybe it's like my own little empathness, but like you can taste that in the food. Yeah. So I would hope that people are just more vocal about what they need, like back and forth between employees and employers. And I want employees not to feel like they'll be punished for saying, I need a sick day, especially in the food industry and especially in a pandemic, sick employees should not be going to work, but there is still a culture of you show up sick and you work sick anyways.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So just a little more confidence in employees being able to stand up to their employers that, yeah, it's like you said, we're a dime a dozen, but, but you know, it doesn't we're mean- also kind of like a, a a labor force yeah. to be reckoned with yeah. so you know not to be throwing around too much communist propaganda like if we all walked out <laughs> one day if there was a general labor strike in the restaurant industry nobody's no eating right so
0: i mean it's it's interesting to think about uh the generational piece because like the millennials are actually this huge generational blood cause it's like the children of the baby boomers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you know you go from like our parents having 3.5 kids per household to like now it's like 1.8 kids per household wow. or something like that and like I mean I, I I'm sure this is a knowable thing but it's like how many like super eager 20 year olds are there going to be 10 years from now um I don't know yeah it's interesting stuff to think about yeah. and um as we as we wind towards the uh end of the memory card we should really uh dwell on it over a piece of caramel or sure, a yeah. fruit chair. <laughs> sure. uh, do you wanna like plug your website or like what I'm you've sure, got going yeah. right
1: now? Yeah, so um, NikkiDarlingConfections.com and I-K-K-I. Um, the name is actually a reference to a Prince song. Um, the song is called Darling Nikki. It's a super inappropriate song for small children, but it's a great song. And it was one of those songs that was held up as like why parental advisory stickers are needed which I just think is a wonderful <laughs> wonderful thing you should put those on so the candy the parental advisory yeah, <laughs> yeah that's pretty okay, be great cute. Um, so yeah so NikkiDarlingConfections.com you can place orders on the website you can pick up your order here at Guild Row um, which is great come on in pick up your order have a drink get a coffee and then right now so starting tomorrow I don't know when this is going to be launched but Tomorrow on the 26th, we will have a chocolate bar on the website. Um, it's vanilla nougat, vanilla caramel with Spanish peanuts, and it's dipped in dark chocolate. Um, and that will be going live tomorrow. They tend to sell out pretty quick. But then we will also, beginning on February 1st, sneak peek, no one knows about this yet.
0: Whoa, world exclusive. <laughs> world exclusive. <laughs>
1: Um, we'll be launching our Valentine's day bars. So the Valentine's day chocolate bars will be a, um, almond nougat with a cherry jam in dark chocolate, and then a hazelnut marzipan with coffee ganache in milk chocolate. And those will launch on February 1st. And the chocolate bars are $3 each. All chocolate bars for the remainder of the year are charity bars. So 50% of the proceeds of the bars for the first quarter of the year will be going to the Greater Chicago Food Depository. Um, And each quarter we pick a different charity. So right now, food is obviously on our minds. So we're going with that one. And yeah, that's what's going on for Nikki Darling right now.
0: Katie, anything you want to plug? communist
2: or um yeah i mean i think all of our problems could just be solved with the downfall of late stage capitalism
0: (laughs) i think that's next week's episode all right katie evan thank you very much
1: thank you